welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Well, hey, church, my name is Dave, and I get to serve on staff here at The Well as one of the pastors, and it is my privilege to be able to spend some time opening up God's Word with you today. Uh, just before we do that, I just want to acknowledge that um, as a church leadership, our staff and our elders, um, home group leaders and beyond, uh, we just recognize that right now, um, these are hard days for some people. With, with all that's going on, there's a lot of fear and a lot of confusion, um, a lot of hopelessness, a lot of worry, all that kind of thing. And I just want to say really clearly, right from the beginning here, that you need to know that you're loved. Uh, you need to know that you're prayed for regularly by us. And we want you to know that we're here for you. Um, actually, if, if you have any needs, uh, we really want you to reach out to us so we can be there to support you, whether it's just somebody to talk to, um, if you need someone to pray with you, if you have real tangible needs like help with groceries or, or other things, please just reach out to us so we can be there for you. We're so glad that wherever you're at, that you've chosen to be with us uh, here today. A few years ago, I had uh, the privilege of spending a few weeks in India. And while I was there, um, spent some of my time in Andhra Pradesh, which is one of the states that makes up India, following around a man named Philip Timothy. Um, originally, Philip had a job working with the Indian government in uh, the census department, and he was assigned uh, the, the state of Andhra Pradesh. So uh, if you want to have a job that has eternal job security, then you want to get hired and be paid to count all of the people in India. Andhra Pradesh has something like 50 million people on paper alone. I think there's going to be some photos for you to take a look at there. Um, and so what Philip and his team would do is uh, they would go into one village and these were very remote places and they would count up the people and they would give them the support that they needed. Then they would ask those villagers, where, where are the, where's the next village? And they'd say, oh, it's 10 kilometers that way. So him and his team would like trudge through, uh, they would bushwhack basically through the mountainside until they got to the next village. They'd count all those people up and they'd say, okay, where's the next one? And they'd go from here to here to here. Now, these were people that were really right off the grid. Like, uh, I mean, the government didn't even know that they were there. They weren't connected by electricity uh, or anything like that. And they were very tribal um, and, and, and where they were because they were separate in their small little communities. Now, Philip is a follower of Jesus, and actually his dad was a, a pastor who had uh, been serving in that area for a long time and had even started a number of hospitals and schools and clinics and had provided care, uh, eye care for people um, in that area. And so Philip got to a point in his career where he heard God calling him and telling him to start taking the knowledge that he had about all these remote villages, and instead of going there to count them for the sake of the Indian government, to start going there and actually starting churches. So that's what he did. He put together a team of, of, of church planters and he would go into a village and when they would get there, they would pray for them and they would provide them with different uh, felt needs that they had. Um, they would, uh, people were uh, healed from different sicknesses. People were uh, freed from uh, spiritual oppression um, that they were experiencing. And then Philip would leave a pastor there who would be responsible for caring for the needs of that community uh, full time. And then he'd head off to the next village. An incredible guy to spend some time with. One night we were having dinner and he was sharing just all the different things that God had brought him and his family through. And I remember thinking while he was talking, like, where is your cape, man? Uh, he is telling stories that made, like, he's a superhero, uh, the different kinds of things that he had been involved in. And as he was telling us about all the different uh, villages and all the different people that he had met, one thing he kept coming back to was that many of these villages were people, uh, people in these villages were practicing um, animistic religions. And people would regularly say, 
that their religion and the gods and the idols that they worshiped often left them feeling more oppressed, uh, more enslaved, often let them feeling more uh, fearful that they weren't able to worship the right way or offer enough sacrifice to them, that that actually left them in fear. And it wasn't until Philip and his team showed up in their communities and started to tell them about Jesus and the hope that can be had in him, that they began to feel liberated and freed from that which was holding them back. And he shared that over and over again, people would say to him that it's like God came to find us. They would say that as Philip shared about Jesus, as he prayed for them, as their needs were met, as they were healed, as they were uh, set free from their possession, people would say over and over again, it's like God came to find us. And this sticks with me to this day. I, I think about this all the time because that, that phrase, it's like God came to find us, is essentially a summary sentence for the entirety of the Bible, for the entirety of the good news that we have in Jesus Christ, that he has come to find us, that he might give us new life, that he might reconnect us with God. And this is really the story of scripture. This is what we've been looking at together in the book of Revelation for the past seven weeks as we've been working our way through this series called Apocalypse, Hope in the Dark. In this book, this book of Revelation, it's the last book uh, of the Bible. Uh, basically what it's being said here is God is saying, you need hope and I'm the only one who can give you true hope. One thing we've been learning is that this is the thing about hope, right? The thing about hope is um, no matter how hard your life is right now, um, no matter how confusing the world is, how confusing the media is, uh, no matter how impossible everything seems, no matter how confusing everything is, no matter how much despair you may be feeling, the thing about hope is found in knowing this. Revelation has been teaching, it has been found in this, is that this is not how things are supposed to be, and this is not how things are going to be forever. Hope is found in knowing that even when we feel isolated and alone, we're actually not on our own. God has not abandoned us to just try and figure out how to survive in this broken and complicated and messy world by ourselves. God has drawn near to us. The hope that we see in all of scripture, and it is like just so clearly uh, uh, explained here in Revelation, is that God has come to find us. God has come to bring us hope. And Revelation, like all of the Bible, does this by presenting us with the truest and most vibrant picture of what hope really is. It's a vision of Jesus. The book of Revelation is a vision. It's a revealing of a beautiful and robust and hopeful picture of who Jesus is. It shows us what he has done. It shows us what he is doing in us and around us right now. And it tells us of what he will do in the future. It reveals to us how Jesus is giving us hope by showing us the ways in which he is going to bring about the final culmination of all of the promises of God. And what we're going to learn about today as we go into chapter one uh, is that Hope is not something we are to hoard. Rather, hope is something we're supposed to share. Hope is something that we receive. And once we have it, we don't hang on to it for ourselves. We don't hoard it for ourselves. Instead, what we do is we spread it all around. Now, I hope you're not being confused by the order in which Vijay and I have been working through this book. I know if you've been doing the daily readings, 
uh, each week, uh, then you've been reading through Revelation in order. He and I kind of, as we were sorting this, uh, our teaching series out, we kind of said, if we do this topically, it is going to jumble us around. But what's really amazing is that as we come to chapter one again, as we're actually ending this series, when we come to chapter one, we're going to see a message about hope and what hope is meant to be like, how it's meant to be shared. It was always there right from the beginning. So I'm going to invite you to read along as Barb Ruddle from our Bolton congregation reads for us. I I want you wherever you're at to actually actually read out loud. If you're in the car listening to a podcast, if you're watching with a family, if you're on the TTC, just read it aloud because as the word tells us, there's a blessing for those that do. So let's do that now. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Hope is not meant to be hoarded. The very essence of what hope is, is that it is meant to be spread around, it is meant to be shared, and it is meant to be multiplied. And the hope that's revealed to us here in Revelation actually starts with a verse that tells us where hope originates. Where hope originates and where and how it's passed along. The first verse, Revelation 1 verse 1 says this, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave. This is saying that, Hope starts with God. Because of his love for all people, God gave his son as a gift to the world. Jesus is that son. You know what this means? This means that God came to find us in order that he might bring us hope. And the way that he did this is by sending his son, Jesus to earth to live like us. God sent Jesus from the heavenly realm to earth so that he could bring the love and the grace of God, the father to each and every one of us. Scripture tells us in other places that Jesus is the exact imprint of the personhood and the character of God, which translated means this. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you are going to see that he is love, that Jesus is grace, that Jesus is mercy, that Jesus is truth, that he is compassion, that Jesus is patience personified, that he is true gentleness, that he is peace and that he is the giver of peace. We're going to see that Jesus is where hope is found. And what Revelation tells us right in verse one is that God gives Jesus as a gift of hope to the world. As it continues, it tells us that then Jesus actually sends an angel to John in order that John may receive hope. 
And in order to receive that picture of hope, Jesus actually sends a picture of himself and explains who he is and what he's going to do. And, and John, who's the writer of, of this particular book in the Bible, um, who is also one of Jesus's first followers and actually one of Jesus's closest uh, friends. He's known as like the beloved uh, disciple, one who was very close to Jesus. He was at a time in his life where he needed so much hope. He had actually been exiled, imprisoned to an island called Patmos, which I'm going to show you a map later on. So you have a sense of where that was where that is in the world. And uh, the reason he was exiled there is because that's where the Roman Empire put political, uh, put political uh, enemies or political criminals. Uh, so essentially, Roman emperors wanted to be worshiped as gods themselves. So anyone who didn't worship them would either be killed or would be imprisoned or be tortured or whatever. And so Jesus, John would not stop testifying, would not stop giving witness, meaning he would not stop saying that Jesus is the only Lord. Jesus is the only one where we can find hope. And so he was seen as a threat to the Roman emperor and he was exiled. And yet while he's there, isolated and confined and imprisoned to die, basically, he needs this hope. And that's where Jesus shows up and gives him hope. But because hope is not meant to be hoarded, John didn't just take it for himself and say, oh good, this explains my situation right here while I'm imprisoned. Um, you know, instead what happens is as he's given this vision, he's also told to write it down and to ship it off with a courier to seven other churches. And I'm going to explain that's really where we're going today. But the big idea is that um, hope is something that is meant to be passed along. Hope is not meant to be kept. It's not meant to be hoarded. It is meant to be passed along. It also means that hope produces more hope, which produces more hope, which produces even more hope, which creates even more hope, which creates even more hope, on and on and on. And all of this, this message of hope that we see in Revelation, it, 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 it starts with this vision of Jesus, right? That's what chapter one and onwards is. But it begins with this blessing that comes along with it. It says in, in verse two, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart uh, and take to heart what is written because the time is near. So John, who was exiled and who was in need of hope, received it. And for him, it was a blessing, but then he was actually also blessed to give it to others and others are blessed as they share it to others as well. And what's vital for us to understand in this particular uh, verse is this phrase, the time is near. It can be easy to get caught up in phrases like this uh, if we're trying to simply decode um, the book of Revelation or any other book for that matter. If we're just trying to um, mathematically or formulaically figure out how the history of the world is all going to pan out, um, we can get caught up in that. And really what happens is we end up missing the point. Um, and so, yes, these opening verses are saying that this revelation of Jesus, this picture of Jesus is going to say how things are going to unfold, but it's not meant to explain to us the exact date and time or the exact way that it's all going to happen. Instead, what it's meant to do is evoke faith within us. It's meant to cause us to say things like, no, no, things are not supposed to be like this way. Everything is broken. It's not supposed to be like this. Uh, no, things are not going to be like this forever. Faith that says, um, God has not abandoned us and left us all alone. Um, and, and faith that says, yes, I do believe that Jesus is going to bring about all of the promises of God one day. And so this idea of the time is near is not meant to tell us about a specific time frame or date on a calendar. Instead, what it's trying to say is it's trying to build up urgency and saying, you need hope right now. More than ever, right now, you need a picture of hope and it comes in the form of Jesus. 
This was true for John. This is true for the early church. This has been true for every follower of Jesus in all of history. This has been true for every person in all of history. And it's true for you and me right now. We need hope. Because hope is something is not meant to be hoarded, but passed on, John is instructed to write down what he sees and send it off to the seven churches. As you can see in verse 19 and 20, these seven churches are referred to as lampstands. What is a lampstand? That's not necessarily a familiar uh, word to us or something that we use often, but the idea, the concept of it makes total sense. A lampstand is something that holds up a light source. Typically, it's something that's very tall um, and it's put in a prominent place in order that the light that it supports can cast its, its light as far and as wide as possible. Makes perfect sense, right? Um, Actually, it's interesting because Jesus, in uh, the first sermon that's recorded that he gives to his earliest followers, he actually uses this idea of, of light. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So this analogy or this imagery, this metaphor of a, of, of a lampstand means that um, to be a lampstand is to transmit the hope in, of Jesus as far and as wide as possible so that he can bring hope and light into dark places. Jesus is saying churches are lampstands. Churches are, are responsible. Churches have the role to play in transmitting and shining out the light that Jesus brings. And these seven lampstands here in particular um, are churches that are actually scattered throughout the Roman Empire. But this is not just talking about these churches. Whatever we see in the book of Revelation about these lampstands, these churches can actually be applied to all churches. And what's kind of cool, you're going to see a map in a sec here. One of the cool things about these churches is their locations. Um, I spent, I grew up in church, so I spent uh, quite a number of uh, services, like bored as a kid, um, just flipping through the maps in the back of the Pew Bible. And I didn't know why they were there. I didn't really know what they meant, but they were cool maps to look at. And yet, if you look at um, the red line that I drew here on the map, you can see Patmos there, which is uh, off the west coast of uh, Roman Empire Asia, which is modern day Turkey. And then you can see that um, the order of which the, um, the, the red line goes, it, it goes, it goes east towards the main land into Ephesus and then up into Smyrna and then north up into Pergamum and then over to Theatira and then down to Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Um, that order is, is the natural order that a courier or a messenger would follow. That was going along a trade route. And so what John was doing here, th- these lampstands, um, God was saying, write it down and send this vision out to these churches and the courier would be able to take it on this natural progression. Now, if you're into things like that, you like to nerd out on things like that, then you're welcome. But more than just their geographical location, Something that is important is that these churches were all in influential positions. So in these cities, in these places where these particular churches were, that's where it was particularly difficult to follow Jesus. These were places that were particularly spiritually dark. Emperors, the Roman emperors had actually set up temples for idol worship in these places. Um, beyond that, these were the places where the, the beast that was the Roman empire was especially strong um, in, in terms of the way that it persecuted and oppressed and made following Jesus near impossible. And, and that actually makes so much sense 
as to why they're referred to as the most important or influential churches of the day. Certainly there were other churches in other parts of Asia, but because these churches were in particularly dark places makes even more sense as to why they were called lampstands. These churches and all churches are meant to bring the hope of Jesus into communities, just like a light on a stand is meant to bring light and illuminate dark places. Churches are not meant to be removed from neighborhoods or communities or cities where there's darkness. That's the very place they need to be so that they can illuminate that which is dark and bring about that which is good, that which is hopeful, that which is loving, and all that which is Jesus-like. And so, yes, these churches um, here needed a message of hope because they were living in challenging times. Yes, churches today, including our own, we need messages of hope because uh, we're living in difficult and confusing and mysterious times. But whenever we get a picture of hope, whenever we get a picture of Jesus, we're never meant to keep it to ourselves. Hope is not something that is meant to be hoarded. Instead, it is something that is meant to be shared and is meant to be spread around. They were meant, those churches were meant to let the vision of Jesus be their hope so it might bring light to them, but also that they would then begin to omit and transmit light themselves into the darkness around them. And this is the role of every single church wherever they are, including our own church here in our small corner of the universe. Um, You know, if you look back to the life of Jesus, you'll see in Acts chapter 1, um, he spent, he was spending some time, this is after Jesus had died. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Um, and then he spent about 40 days teaching, um, and, and doing miracles and healing people and giving many, uh, miraculous proofs that he was who he said he was. And then what you see here in Acts chapter one, um, he says to his, to his disciples, his followers, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And then you will go and be my witnesses to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so what's being said here is um, there's a progression into which the message and the hope of Jesus is given out, right? So these disciples had seen Jesus be dead and then not dead, okay? They had watched, they had seen the resurrection take place. So at this moment in history, these followers were like supercharged with hope that God, that Jesus is who he says he is and that God was gonna do what he said he would do because God said that Jesus would be raised from the dead on the third day and he was, and they watched this happen. And so Jesus says, you know this truth. This has given you hope that God is for real. What I want you to do is not keep it to yourself. Don't hoard it. Instead, spread it around. Start in Jerusalem, which is where they were at that moment. Then push out towards Judea, which is kind of like the idea of going out of your hometown. And then he says, then go into Samaria, which for us represents this idea of the places where you do not want to go. Samaria, Samaritan and Jewish, that was a complicated thing. Um, And so he was saying, go even where you don't want to go. And then he throws on this tag to the ends of the earth. Now, this is incredible to me because basically what he's saying is wherever you go, you are meant to shine the light that is hope in me. And that's what they did. They went everywhere. And it was that progression of hope spreading from the time that Jesus said this, that they ended up being some of those leaders that actually would have started these seven churches in Asia. um, And that from there, hope keeps getting passed and passed and passed and passed. And even us right here today, the church, our church, the well exists because people have continued 
to pass on hope. And, and we're not done, right? Like we know that passing on hope is part of our responsibility as a local church that is one of these lampstands here in, in the greater Toronto area. This is why we're committed to a multi-site vision, right? We want to be one church in multiple locations so that we can bring hope into the neighborhoods and into the communities where we live. Even right now, during this global pandemic, when there's all these restrictions about how we can be together and we're not even allowed to be together in some places and all this kind of thing, God is still finding ways to reveal himself to people through our, through our, um, through our services. Um, you know, there have been, since, uh, since we've started doing our virtual services, um, there have been people that were not previously connected to our church that have become connected to our church. People that um, have come to something that we call the uh, call place to be, which is like a newcomers get together. Um, there have been youth that have were not previously connected to the church that are now a part of the ministries that Pastor Kate leads. Like who would have thought that in a global pandemic? with all of the darkness and all of the confusion and all of the mystery and all of the restrictions that God would use something as simple as a video to bring his hope that people might get more access to Jesus. This is how God works though. And this is what happens when hope is shared and not heart hoarded. God sends Jesus. Jesus sends an angel to John. John gets that hope, writes it down, sends it to the churches. Those churches get hope, apply it to their own situation, and they send it out to other churches. Those churches bring hope into the cities, and that keeps getting continued and passed on. And it blows my mind whenever I think about it that our church is here today. You're hearing about the hope of Jesus right now because there's been this 2,000-year progression of people refusing to keep hope to themselves, but instead choosing to spread it around. And it has not stopped. We are meant to actively distribute his hope to everybody so that they may become aware that God is looking for them so that he might give them hope. God is looking for people so he can give them hope. And he is choosing to use local churches, people like us, followers of Jesus, to be these lampstands that shed this light. Now, Jesus works in all sorts of mysterious ways, that's for sure. But over and over again, the scripture tells us that the main way, one of the main ways anyways, that, that, that Jesus is bringing his light, bringing his hope to other people is through churches and through Christ followers. It's through people like us that, that need to receive hope in our situation and then push it out there that it might shine out of us that, so that others can have hope too. And, and, and I believe that even right now in this moment, that God is using this service and this message right here and now to shine out the hope of Jesus to you. Some of you right now in this very moment are becoming aware of the truth that God loves you. That you're becoming aware that God has sent Jesus to come and find you. Not so he could get you, but so that he could bring hope to you. That he could bring life to you. That he could bring the message of love to you. That he would know that you are a loved person. That you would know that you do have value. That you do have purpose. Right now, I believe that God is using the songs that we've sung together. He's using um, the welcome and the prayer. That he's using even my words in this passage of scripture to get your attention. Jesus is shining brightly like a light to you right now into your home through your screen and into your heart and you know it some of you know this you feel it and I got to just say do not ignore it lean into that and say you know what I want to receive this hope today I want to take this hope into me I need this light 
And then maybe this is somebody, something, uh, something that all of us need to pray. I've put together a little prayer. Maybe this is something that all of us need to pray. Um, but certainly I want to encourage you and invite those of you that haven't made this com- profession of faith, we might call it, this, this commitment to Jesus to pray this right now. It's going to be on the screen. Jesus, I'm hopeless. <clears throat> Everything seems impossible, confusing, and broken. I need your hope to shine like a light in the darkness that is around me. Today, I want to receive your hope by trusting you as Lord. I still have questions about all of this, but today I want to begin following you. I know you love me and I want you to show me how to love others so that they can have hope too. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, um, we want you to let us know especially if you just prayed it for the first time, if you're beginning the journey of following Jesus closely now. Um, we want you to let us know. Get, a, get in touch with our church um, because we want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to help you understand a little bit more what it means to, to follow Jesus. And so we're at this point now where we've said enough. Hope is not meant to be hoarded. It's meant to be spread out. We know that God works through, through his followers. God works through the local churches as lampstands to transmit and omit uh, a shining bright light that would draw people to the hope that there is in Jesus. And, and we need some practical suggestions. And so I've got some practical suggestions um, for all of us. Uh, when I started working on this, I just started bulleting out as many different ideas as I could come up with. I came up with like more than 20, which is way too many um, to share in a message. So I I narrowed it all down to six, which is still probably too many. Um, But there's six different things I'm going to talk you through. And um, they're practical suggestions. And the idea is not that you would do all of them, though, of course, you totally could try and do all of them. Um, The idea here is that I want you to at least pick one. I want you to at least pick one and put it into play because these are real practical, real tangible ways that we can be like lampstands in our neighborhoods, in our communities that others might come to see Jesus. So number one is, is, is relatively simple. Invite people to online services and then have conversations. You know, we always want to be creating a, a worship experience that is invitable, meaning um, we don't want to say things that are really freaky and weird. You know, Vij and I and the other pastors on staff, we want to try and put stuff in a language that can be understood by a, a broad group of people. And so we're often saying, yeah, invite people to come. We totally get that right now in a global pandemic with, with restrictions and public health and all this, it's a hard time to get people to leave their homes to come into a church uh, to where our churches meet in person. But that's not what I'm asking you to do right now. What I'm asking you to do right now is share the links on your social, send emails, um, send carrier pigeon, whatever you need to do. Send out invitations to people that they could tune in, particularly as we get into December and we get into Advent. This is the Christmas story. It's something that's kind of familiar. The culture and society that we live in here in the GTA is familiar with the Christmas story. Invite them to have the chance to hear what it's really all about. Second, another thing I want to encourage you to linger in the driveway. I mean, we shouldn't be feeling rushed anymore. A lot of us don't have big, long commutes. A lot of us should have more time to be around. So I want to invite you to just linger a little longer in the driveway in order that you might be able to have some conversations with your neighbor. This happens to me all the time. I like to just putter around my lawn doing things and or not even just being out there seeing who I can talk to. And, um, you know, this happened just the other day. I got home late. We did like a a late night Saturday grocery shopping and I got home um, and, uh, you know, I had bought ice cream. And so the kids were like waiting for me to come 
in with the ice cream and so was Sandra, mostly Sandra, was waiting for me to get the ice cream in. I had to like pee. Um, I just wanted to get inside. And uh, Jonathan, my neighbor, was out on the porch. And uh, so he's like, hey, Dave. And I'm like, oh, no, what do I do now? Do I go in? It's like, I can do just the high. We talk all the time. But for some reason, I felt I should just linger here for a minute. We ended up having this big conversation. We talked about little things and then big things. And he ended up asking, so what are you guys doing? Like, what is the church doing in all of this? Now, he knows about our family. He knows that I'm a pastor and he's got lots of questions about that. But he brought it up. I didn't even need to. And we begin having this natural progression of being able to share what our faith is about. So linger a little bit longer in the driveway. Want to encourage you as well to consider something called Prince of Peace. It's a really clever um, uh, name for a really cool thing. This is a friend of mine, Jermaine Wall, and you can go to princeofpeace.ca. Uh, and when you get there, you're going to see this quote. Why is it so hard to find Christmas cards about Jesus? That's just true, isn't it? Unfortunately, like I don't know how many Christmas cards I've gotten. I open them up. I get glitter all over my hands for what? Just to see like sleigh bells ringing, jing, jing, like so silly. He has put together these really nice looking cards that um, point to Jesus. And I want to just encourage you to go on there and buy a bunch of them. And I don't get any cut from this, but I am a fan of supporting local and small businesses. Um, he's a local guy. Actually, he's planted his own church um, just east of the city. Um, get some of these cards and begin writing down heartfelt notes to your neighbors. And maybe there are some neighbors, maybe there's some family and friends um, that you can write real specific letters to. I want you to be as specific as you possibly can in sharing the hope of Jesus with, but maybe you want to buy a bunch of these and just like write one to all of your neighbors and give them to everyone around you. This is just a real simple way that we can be um, sharing the hope of Jesus. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've, I've said it about myself and many people have said, you know, it is really hard during a pandemic uh, to tell other people about Jesus because we're not allowed to be around other people. What do we do? Well, I just, I don't know if this is funny or what this is, but John, the apostle who wrote this stuff down, was literally isolated and all by himself on an island. And yet he still wrote things down, sent it out with a courier. And we're reading Revelation today because there's something about putting words on paper and sending it out that God chooses to work in. He does work hopefully in that way. Another suggestion for you is prayer walks and prayer drives. Um, you know, pick a slot, a time slot once or twice a week where you walk around the block and pray for your neighborhood. Uh, there may be instances where you're able to um, pray specifically for people because you have an ongoing relationship with them. But more often than not, you can't possibly know everything about everyone. I, I know I don't in my neighborhood. So you just need to pray more generally. God, you say something like, dear God, we know that you know more about what's going on in people's lives than, than anyone else. Whatever their needs are, God, would you meet them today? Would you show them your love and your peace today? And uh, I know this works. Actually, just uh, a week or two ago, I was with a friend who has had an exceptionally hard year. And uh, it's been a hard year for his whole family. And um, he was telling me a story about a, a friend that he had that lived in his subdivision, um, uh, lived around him, but didn't know exactly where he lived. And, and this person um, would walk around the neighborhood. And whenever she saw um, this little well, like a lawn ornament thing, um, whenever she saw the house with the well, she would choose to pray for my friend. Um, they got talking about this. And, and my friend says, did you, not, did you know that that was my house? And the lady's like, I had no idea that that was your house. I just knew that you, a pastor, uh, were in this area and it just made me think. And so I've been praying for you once a week for like years, every time I saw that well, even though I wasn't sure that's exactly where you lived. Then he tells another story about, the, um, about, about a man um, who one day he goes out 
he sees this man sitting in his car outside of his house. And uh, he'd actually seen this guy there before. And so this, this particular day was a difficult day. And he goes over to this guy in the car and he says, hey, how you doing? Like, what are you doing here? The guy was kind of like, kind of sheepish, kind of quiet. And he's like, oh, I just come and sit in the subdivision one time. And my friend's like, you're praying, aren't you? And the guy in the car was like, yeah, actually, we, we know that you've been having a bit of a rough year. And so we came, uh, I come here once a week to pray for you and your family. It's amazing. You never know what's going to be happening. Do you, do you want to know what kind of a rough year my friend is having? His wife just passed away from cancer, mid-40s. And the day that he came across that man in the car praying for his family was actually the day that she passed. We have no idea what God is going to do when we pray. He is always going to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. He is going to bring hope. He is going to shine light in ways that we could never even think of. We don't know what's going on behind those doors. Even when we think we do, we often don't. So just let's commit to praying. Let's commit to praying. Um, another suggestion, Honduras, a nation um, of, of a number of nations actually in South America that have just been devastated by these hurricanes. Um, you've already heard a little bit about how you can support there um, and what the need is. And I'm just going to plead with you, please just do it. Like, like if you're watching this on Sunday morning as a part of um, the 10 a.m. virtual service, then as soon as this is done, like turn it off and go to the store and buy a bunch of the stuff that's on that list. Get it over to the hub tonight or get it up to the King, King site uh, this Sunday afternoon so that we can get it in a container that's going to be shipped out um, this week, early this week. Just, just act on that. And lastly, I want to say this, one more thing, is that some of you are at that place in your relationship with others where it's now time to say the words. Here's what I mean by that. We often talk here at the church about how important it is to be sharing our faith with other people um, because it is important uh, to do that. Um, but some of us are at this place where we have rubbed shoulders and we've spent so much time with people that now it's actually time to say the words, to actually begin saying, hey, can I share my faith in Jesus and the hope that he's given with me to you? And, and maybe you don't know how to start. So I give you this little script. It's like a conversation starter. You can memorize this. You can rewrite your own. There's nothing magic about these words. It's just something to kickstart you. Something like this. Hey, you know that our family is part of a church or that I'm part of a church and that following Jesus is a huge part of my life, huge part of our lives. Uh, we've been praying for you and uh, you know that we've invited you to services and um, you know that we gave you this Christmas card, right? You're doing the other things. We, we've been doing this um, for some time and, and we would love to tell you about why our faith gives, it gives us hope and why we believe that it can bring comfort and hope into your life too. When can we set up a time to sit down and actually talk about life and faith? And, and when it gets to that point, just, just trust Jesus. Just trust him that he is going to shine through you. Church, hope is not meant to be hoarded. It is something we receive. It's something that comes into our lives and gives us hope for the moment in our circumstances, but then it is meant to be pushed out of us and shine out of us. And you might be thinking, Dave, there's no way that these six little simple steps could really transform anyone's life. But you know what? It is often through small acts of faith and obedience that God demonstrates to the world that he has come to find them. It is through little things like this that where we try to sh share hope in small ways that God magnifies it and multiplies it into something that is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. So church, I just want to say, be bold. We're not alone in this. We have one another 
More importantly than that, we have Jesus who promises to be with us in everything that we do. It's him shining through us. And as we follow him, shining light wherever we go, I know that Jesus is gonna bring light into every part of the world. Church, I believe we can do this and I hope you will join in. God bless you and we love you.